Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 115, The Redemption of Alma. In my early 20s, my cubicle was right next to a man who was, I don't know, in his late 40s, early 50s. I've never really been good at knowing other people's ages. And when it comes to friendships, that has just never really mattered. And I adored him. He was the fatherly figure that I needed right after moving to Utah and I don't know, trying this thing that was new to me called adult. (laughs) He was full of wisdom and humor, and he had this satirical side to him that I really enjoyed. He cracked me up. His kids were almost grown. His younger ones were in high school at the time, and he was entering this new phase of life, which to me seemed really far away. But (laughs) I enjoyed listening to his musings of being a father and trying his best at things. He had been a bishop before, and I also really enjoyed our talks about life and perspective and faith. And he listened to me and he respected my viewpoints. He treated me like an equal. And that was such a confidence booster for me. One day he asked me, Carrie, do you think people can really change? Do you think it's possible that they can change their nature? After a lifetime of habits, can they really become something new? not knowing what was going through my friend's mind, but having sensed that he was a little more quieter that day, so he was pondering and thinking about things. And for whatever reason, he was just experiencing a moment of doubt. I answered his question, can people change? I said, yes. I felt the answer, yes, was the whole foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we can't change, then what's the point? Surely he has a Bishop had seen people change. He must have been a part of the process of repentance of others, mentoring them down the path of change. And surely he, were where he was at now, could look back at his younger years and see the change in temperament, the change in wisdom, the change in perspective that life had given him. I believed the answer that I gave my friend. My evidence was my grandfather and the witness of his daughter, my mother, who had taught me that before my grandfather had been baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that he had been so different, that my grandparents' marriage had been not as smooth as it was now, which I couldn't picture in my mind because I want to emulate my grandfather. The gospel of Jesus Christ had changed him. It had accentuated the good And it had smoothed down and minimized the rough places in him. My friend listened and with a heavy heart replied, I'm just not sure that a person can truly change. In that moment, I just left it at that. Perhaps he was just having an Eeyore moment, which we used to tease him about. But I remember it caused me to reevaluate my beliefs. Was I being young and foolish? Can people change? 
Do I believe it's possible for me to change? Or am I hopeless against the dreams that I have of betterment? Was it naive to believe in change? To believe in changing course, forsaking one's mistakes, and never desiring to return back to them? Do I believe that we're capable of rerouting our paths, changing the neural pathways in our brain, and actually changing our nature? Changing what we crave, what we react to, the way we perceive things? And I still, 20 years later, believe we can. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, it is possible. And I believe that here in Mosiah, Alma is our proof. Once Alma had been the priest of King Noah, purposely picked because of the pride of his heart. And we don't have all the details, but I think we can safely assume that Alma enjoyed similar amusements as Noah did. That he was included in the accusation that Abinadi made, that ye have not applied your hearts to understanding. Therefore, ye have not been wise. Therefore, what teach ye this people? Yet, Alma responded to Abinadi's invitation to repent and change course, to switch directions and to reroute where his life was taking him and to plug in to Jesus Christ. Now, Was all of that immediate? Did Alma just completely change immediately? And we don't know. But I imagine it was a process, don't you think? When we read the scriptures, I think that we can easily make the mistake in assuming that the timing was bada bing, bada boom. That as quickly as we move on to the next verse, so did time, so did change. Be careful of this temptation. It can set us up for impatience for our own processes and development of defeating thoughts regarding our own personal progress. Remember, we're reading an abridgment. The abridgment of Mormon is compact, and it is so especially in these chapters of Mosiah. There is a lot going on here. We have Abinadi preaching, and we have tempers rising, and we have Alma changing his mind, and then Noah getting mad. We have Abinadi thrown back into prison for three days while the priests are trying to figure out how to kill him. And was it during this time that Alma speaks up? And is it then that he's chased out and hunted by the guards of Noah? And how long did that take? In Mosiah chapter 16 verse 4, it says that Alma, being concealed for many days, did write all the words which Abinadi had spoken. In reading this verse, there are two questions that come to my mind. How long is many days? And what transformation occurred in Alma's heart, especially as he wrote down the words of Abinadi. Did Abinadi's words sear themselves into the dark places of his heart? Did the actual act of remembering and pondering and having the Spirit bring to his mind the words as they were truly spoken at the time, did this cause Alma's heart to burn with the witness of their truth just like it did as he sat there in Noah's courts? And as he thought about what Noah taught, did the knowledge that Jesus will come 
and that he will rescue man from their lost and fallen state, and that the sting of death will be swallowed up in him. And endless life and happiness can be found through Jesus Christ. Did this enliven Alma? Knowing how fleeting happiness really is during a life of pleasure and pride. He had been there. He had done that. And did he yearn now for true happiness? Don't we all? Did he in that thicket of trees that he hid himself in, did he experience spiritual manifestations? I believe he did. I believe that the reconnecting that Abinadi did, taking Alma's heart and connecting it back to a personal Jesus who would die for Alma, changed Alma. And that he experienced the horror that he witnessed watching his so-called friends plotting and carrying out the murder of a prophet of God. I believe it probably sickened him to know how close he actually came to being one of them. And he realized that it was too close. And so did his heart anguish, seeing how he had chosen wickedness over righteousness? Did the error of his ways, the misguidance of his behaviors, the hurt that his life of falsehoods had caused others, the errors of others because of his pride, did all of that weigh heavy upon his heart? And I wonder, did it take time for Alma to let go and let God? And that when he did let go, was there a part of him that tried to take it back and hold on to it? That he falsely believed that it was his wounds to feel, his worth that ought to be diminished, that it was his behaviors that defined him. And at what point, at what point did he just let Jesus take all of it and heal him, wholly and completely heal him? Now, did this happen fast? I don't believe so. But I do believe that the gates of hell that were exposed there in the court of Noah was enough of a contrast to make a searing impression on Alma. That drastic change could take place in order for his soul to be saved. And as far as anguish, which I am sure he truly experienced, playing a part in misleading the Nephites into wickedness, What do you do with that? I can tell you what Alma did. He went back for them. He didn't have to. He had been chased out of the city, remember? But he went back. Why else would he risk his life to go among them and teach them the words of Abinadi? He went back for redemption. He went back for reconciliation, for healing, and for rescue, both for himself and for them their spiritual and their physical rescue. Imagine the risk to all of this. There was the risk of being caught and exposed, captured by those who chose not to believe in Jesus Christ. The same people who had bound Abinadi up and taken him before King Noah. Alma could have faced the same fate as Abinadi did. Or you know what? I think because he was one of them, they might have made it a little bit worse. But it was worth it to him. 
And as a side note, what an amazing foreshadowing experience. Alma's going to need this experience, especially when we read about his own son, who will have his own rebellious time and who will speed down this very similar road of iniquity. This story gives us a glimpse as to how Alma is able to remain patient and full of faith in the Lord. He knew the power of prayer and the change that it can bring because no doubt that is exactly what he did and experienced while he was in the thicket of trees by the waters of Mormon. And what occurred because of all of this was transformation, or in spiritual terms, redemption. Alma had repented. He changed his mind, his heart, and now he had a fresh view of God, a fresh view of himself and about the world he moved in. And he had turned away. Actually, he had fled (laughs) from sin and he turned to God for forgiveness. In that thicket, he reevaluated his course. He accepted and he also responded to the prophet's invitation to repent. And though I am sure there are obstacles, I mean, can you imagine? Think about it. Can you imagine the self-doubt, that tool of self-doubt that Satan uses? He must have used it to penetrate the thoughts of Alma in those very private moments, those quiet moments, those tense moments. Imagine the grief that Alma endured. The question, just like my friend had had, is it possible for someone to truly change? Is the atonement real enough, strong enough, infinite enough to include me? But the definition of redemption answers that for us. It is deliverance and rescue from sin, error, and evil. It is regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or just clearing the debt. It's what the Savior does. The Savior purchases you because you asked him, because you wanted to belong to him. And with his purchase of you, faults and all, he cleans you up and then he releases you from blame and from debt And he makes you free. And he does this not just once. It's not just a one-time offer. But he does this each and every time you ask for it. But you must ask. You must ask for it each and every time. And your desire, a turning to God for forgiveness, that matters. And it will make all the difference. It must. And we see it in the response of the people he taught privately. So Alma goes in and he talks and he teaches the people. And he taught them of that which was to come. And I can imagine that this entailed not only the coming of Jesus Christ and all that, but also the warnings and the consequences of the wickedness of the people, the physical and the spiritual dangers that were coming. And he also taught them about the resurrection of the dead and about repentance, redemption, and faith on the Lord. And the people did not bind him up. (laughs) They did not take him to Noah. And that's a miracle. 
but as many as would believe him went thither to the land of Mormon, where he hid, where there was a fountain of pure water. And I love that image of pure water and what that means to our soul. I believe that the people saw the physical transformation that redemption can have on one's countenance and demeanor. And I believe that they felt the purity of Alma's testimony as he was finally teaching them righteousness and truth. And because Alma had been redeemed, and because I'm sure they saw it and heard it in him, then that gave them hope that they too could be transformed. They were able to cling to the teachings of redemption because it was now possible in their minds. And it is only Jesus Christ who could rescue them from not only the Lamanites, but from the spiritual captivity and death that was to be theirs if they continued down this path. So I ask you, do you believe in redemption? Do you believe people can change? Do you believe it's possible for you to change? Or is that just being naive? Is it being naive to believe that someone can change their course? Forsake their mistakes and never desire to return back to them? Are we capable of rerouting our paths, of changing the neural pathways in our minds and in our brains and actually changing our nature, changing what we crave how we react, how we perceive things. And just like the atonement of Jesus Christ can clean us up again, it can transform us even physically in those neural pathways of our brain. A couple of years ago at our state conference, the mission president of our area spoke and he shared with us the projected growth that the Wasatch Front here in Utah was going to experience. Change was coming, not only in development of housing and employment, but people were coming and the people that were going to come and occupy Utah was going to be large. The guidance that was shared with us was that major growth is coming. So get ready. And those that are coming to Utah are going to look a little different and they're going to believe differently and they're going to even have had different life experiences than what some of us here might have had. But so significant is this change that the mission president shared that another mission president along the Wasatch Front, they both had had similar dreams about how to respond to the growth coming. And it's this perspective that humbled me. The Lord is bringing his children here. And this isn't to be seen as a threat to us, but to be seen as an opportunity. Children of God who have not heard the gospel or haven't been able to accept the gospel before are being brought here to Utah. They might think it's for work or for the great recreation, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is even more needful and even more desirable than those things. Because redemption is real. It's possible. And what a relief that truth brings to us. And our message, Sister Scriptorians, is to not hold that message back, but it's to be like Alma, focused on not only the glorious possibility, but the reality of redemption. 
Sister Scriptorians, in addition to this podcast, I also provide spiritual life coaching to help you achieve your goals in your relationship with yourself and with others. And right now, I'm filling vacancies. Contact me at carrie at sisterscriptorians.com to schedule a complimentary consultation with me to see if life coaching is the solution that you have been looking for. I can't wait to talk to you.